This week, we take a look at one of the bleakest depictions of the future ever shown with Akira. And along the way, we ask, is the violence forgiven since this is an animated film? Could we ever see a live-action adaptation of this film? And what's up with these raven-shriveled kids? Let's dig in on Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, listeners, true believers. Welcome back to another rendition of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. My voice is the Colonel Shawn Michael Culp. And along the way on this journey is... I guess I'm the amorphous blob, Chris Rupp. <laughs> You're right. Oh, that blob was so gross. Uh, yeah, like we said, welcome back. This is Acura. It's, I think it's our first animated film that we've done. No, we did Wally a while back, but this is our first uh, Japanese anime film. Yes, anime. Yeah, because Wally, what was that? Was that like just that's, that's like Pixar? A, Pixar. Yeah, it doesn't count. This is actually hand-drawn. This is no computer business. Uh, and it came out in, I believe, 1988. 1988, yeah. So, yeah, let's dive into this bad boy. So, 30 years after World War III has decimated the planet, and along with the destruction of Tokyo, uh, Tokyo the new city of Neo-Tokyo has risen from its ashes, but is plagued with government corruption military oversight, and gangs running rampant through the streets. However, when a member of one of the gangs is involved in an accident, he is captured by the military and becomes subject to experiments involving mind-shattering hallucinations and ESP. Now his best friend and a group of resistance fighters must work together to save him and uncover the truth behind the corruption. I will admit I have been hesitant to watch this movie for a long time because I didn't know what it was about. Ah. Okay, I'd never even I knew heard it was of this. set in the future, but I, I didn't know what I was getting into. Okay. I saw the artwork prior, but I've never um I had a f- coworker years ago that gave me a list of all these great animated films I need to see before I die, but fortunately I lost the list and along with it I guess Acura. So this was my first take on um any of these I guess there's like a list out there. Top 10, 15 films that talk about like World War II, Vietnam, X, Y, and Z. But this is totally cyberpunk apocalyptic. Yes. It, like I was saying uh, at the beginning, it came out July 16, 1988. So this was kind of, yeah, 80s, man. Yes. And uh, we're, we're not going to list off the cast since no, um, we don't want to butcher the names. No, the Japanese actors have a bunch of names that uh, we don't feel like butchering and doing them a disservice. And the American dub actors are people that no one will know. But I think it would be nice to provide a bit of background information on the making of Akira. So at the time, this was the most expensive anime film of all time with a budget of 1.1 billion yen. Yeah. Which is uh, just over $9 million. That's nuts. Yeah. Think about that. Nine mil. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's well worth every penny, I would say. Yeah, and this is based off on a uh, 1982 manga series by Katsuhiro Atomo, who also directed this film. He inked a pretty good production deal to uh, adapt his his anime, and the film is mostly faithful to the plot of the manga, but there are some notable differences. One being that the U.S. military isn't involved in the film. There's a subplot in the manga where they do show up. Okay. And most of the events in the manga are 
condensed and formed into more of a cohesive plot. Mm-hmm. But after watching the final product of the film, you know, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I'm fine with that too. Atomo signed on to create the film under the condition that he would maintain creative control of the project. Well, that's like you said, I think it's a perfect example of when the creator is like the sole control, but it's a good product. This isn't like one of those, what is that, Ron Sterling or who is the guy from Star Trek? Uh, Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry that made the motion picture. It's just like, oh, God, Gene, why? Although you did say Ron Serling, the creator of Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone. It is important to acknowledge that that show just celebrated its 60th anniversary. So hey. happy anniversary, Twilight Zone. Absolutely. But I don't think he took uh, any part in the movie that came out because he might have died mm, before that. Rod Serling was a notorious chain smoker. <laughs> I mean, there's many an intro to the Twilight Zone where he he has cigarettes away. in his hand. <laughs> Multiple cigarettes in his hand. Like, imagine if you will, a world where I didn't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we will try. And this uh, Akira is a unique animated film in that it actually uses pre-scored dialogue, meaning the dialogue is recorded first and the film is animated to match the movement of the actor's lips. That's got to be something that's not very often. No. Because I usually see like the actors, they'll do the behind the scenes and they'll try to like match what's going on with the yes. characters. Well, this was actually the first anime film to do this and even still remains a rarity today for anime films. That's like, um, I don't know if you've seen the new Joker film, but... Oh, yes. <laughs> Todd Phillips, what he did was he made the score before they did any of the filming. And then so he would play the score throughout whenever Joaquin would be filming a scene, whatnot, so they could get the feel of the mundane, like another bleak film, you know, so it could build up the tension that the characters were experiencing through it. So, And Akira is full of these, what I call WTF moments. They are. (laughs) And part of it is forgiven because it is an animated film, but... At the same time, you're not expecting moments like these to come up yeah. in any film, let alone an animated film. Absolutely. I mean, there's tons of moments. Like The, the chase scenes in the film are top-notch, better than most live-action films. Yeah. There's the gore, the unexpected gore. Like the, uh, the guy getting shot up while he's harboring one of the raisin children at the beginning of the film. He just gets completely <laughs> blasted. <laughs> Godfather style. I mean, just yeah, he got Sonny Corleone right there. Totally, man. I mean, it's it's really brutal watching this. Well, and it's also involving children. Yeah, which is something you would never see, and I think it gets away with it because it's animated. Whereas yeah. a live action, it just I don't think you could get by that. Well, if you had to guess, how old do you think Kaneda is in the rest of the gang he leads? So initially, I thought he had to have been like early twenties, late. Teens, but I think he's like maybe 15, 16. That's what like I was right thinking around. too. Yeah, he's not smart enough because the way he handles himself with women, he has no tact. And just like his choices are just so befuddling, I would say, the emotional maturity he experiences, you know, throughout the film. But yeah, he's a kid. Totally. Well, I think a lot of that too is a product of the environment he is in because mm-hmm. he clearly doesn't have any sort of adults or parental figures in his life to tell him what he's doing is you know stupid no they're not saying uh get off the streets stop your little biker gang you know no he's he's literally the ringleader of that i mean but it's safe to assume that any 
that any parents that he did have abandoned him at a young age off to this mm-hmm. reform boarding school. It's never exactly clear what type of no. facility he's just dumped off at. Yeah, they just have one scene where he's getting like slapped by the, uh, what is that, like the dean or something? I would consider that a truant officer. A truant officer just uh, slapping all a, the A boards. rather heavy-handed truant officer. <laughs> Discipline, just <laughs> Which I will admit, I I laughed so hard at that scene. <laughs> but the whole time I'm thinking, you know, these kids are just going to get out of school, get to their motorcycles, yeah, follow you home and beat the snot out of you. Oh, yeah. there's no way. I, I'm surprised that that guy, like you saw the school, how just uh, graffiti everywhere, t- like toilet paper. It's nuts how disgusting that school was and just the environment in general the whole environment was just so bleak because we get these great shots of neo tokyo and Mm -hmm. these impressive skyscrapers that they have built after the destruction of world war three but it's almost like gotham city where yes it looks great the skyscrapers and the superstructures are gorgeous but you get down to street level and you see there's crime and there's trash and there's villainy everywhere yeah Everywhere you go, there's people selling drugs, panhandling, biker gangs, someone's trying to kill someone. It's it's really, it's really brutal. I thought that it was just well detailed, very well drawn. Well, yeah, and it's a, it's a credit to the animators and Katsuhiro Otomo for yeah. maintaining the vision that he had in the manga to that in the film. Mm-hmm. Because if this were, I think if this were any other director or somebody who had a lesser vision, it wouldn't have been as detailed and it wouldn't have been as good looking. I totally agree with that. Because some of the animation is smoother than even some live action films. <laughs> totally. I'm watching this going, oh my gosh, these scenes are like captivating, man. Them like uh, in the sewers getting shot at by like the biker guy. Or what What was that guy? He was like a floating, kind of like a racer from Star Wars. Yeah, Return I would of the think Jedi. that was like a, I don't know. I didn't get the sense that that was the police no i felt like that the military was the police (laughs) yes that's what this felt like a very dictator oriented regime where people just kind of obeyed i can't remember if they said in the movie where it's like they own the police you know this is a very much male dominated society Mm -hmm. and one of the things i noticed when watching the film is a severe lack of female representation in the film yeah Lack of representation or lack of like a lead? Both. Because I saw there was females peppered throughout the film, like as officers and people working, but you didn't really get a lead outside of one of the Raisin Bran children and then uh, Kay and then that uh, terrorist chick. Well, I mean, there were Kay and uh, Kaori, yeah. uh, t- I guess Tetsuo's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But Kate is, um, she's almost like this secondary part in this resistance group and it's not until all the men are killed that she becomes a de facto leader and has to step up at the end of the film Mm -hmm. and Kaori is i don't want to say subservient to tetsuo but she's almost like this lost little lamb puppy dog that follows tetsuo everywhere he goes yeah it was i wish they would have fleshed out their uh relationship a little bit more because it that was some good stuff like when Tetsuo like saves her from the rape and everything, mm. but that's really all that you got of her until like you saw her just kind of mingling off to the side, you know, when like all the homies were out from the school, and then like she doesn't really appear much until well, the end. Well, and you feel so bad for her because during that yeah. that scene where her shirt is ripped open, she is bonked on the head pretty viciously, I know. and poor girl is left to 
just lay face down in the street while Tetsuo has to deal with these his mind-shattering hallucinations. I know. It's not fair. <laughs> that well, poor girl. And the other females we get are, I'm going to assume that they're schoolmates of Kanida and yeah. the rest of his cohorts, but we don't get their names. No. They and just... Kanida just brushes them off because he's relentlessly pursuing K. Yeah. He sees K, and then after that, he's like, eh, whatever. Almost creepily so. He's like, hey, you want to get a drink? Like, dude, no, you're 15. No. He's, it was all creep. There was not almost creepy. He, that, his pursuit of women and, like, disregard um, for tact and any type of respect really bothered me watching. I was just like, this guy, he's just lousy. And he was a horrible human being. He to was me. a horrible. I don't. I don't want to say he was a horrible human being. I just don't think he's ever found himself in a situation where he's had to profoundly reevaluate his thoughts and beliefs. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. He is the gang leader, and it seems like everything he's ever done, he's the ace. And Everyone he, yeah, just bows to him. That's true. He just reeks of jerk throughout the entire film. Even when we totally. first meet him. And he's browsing through the jukebox. He seems like he's been there for a solid ten minutes, mm-hmm. just going through songs. Right. And I'm sorry, to me, like that's jukebox etiquette. You need to walk up and know what song you're gonna play right away. I you, mean, you can't for, just shuffle through it. I mean, for me, it's Fat Bottom Girls by Queen every single time. <laughs> every time. Every time. God. Well, I play my one song, and then someone else can pick a song after that. But you got to know what song. I don't. You're gonna pick heading up to that jukebox. I don't have jukebox etiquette, man. I'm Apparently not. not. No, no. I, I'm the guy. I'm like Canada, unfortunately, just sitting there perusing. <laughs> But he, it kind of makes sense between both of them and why Tetsuo ends up, uh, I guess, like resenting Kanada at the end. And it kind of like leads to him becoming this all-powerful being that basically destroys and kills tons of people. Well, it's because Kanada is 15. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to assume Tetsuo is 15. Mm-hmm. And Kanada doesn't know how to manage the group that he's responsible for yeah quote unquote well he's surrounded by a bunch of yes men yeah he he is but he doesn't know how to appropriately handle the mantle of leader no he just says do as i say he's very brash he's very short (laughs) very obstinate with his cohorts and even when he catches uh tetsuo messing around with his bike he chastises him to like get off the bike yeah and like go steal your own it just, but I also feel there's no like, way he had money to get that kind of bike. <laughs> I, I also felt like Tetsuo, though, like kind of set himself in those situations. Like it just seemed like he was like the dorky brother that just could never stand and fly on his own. He always tried to be the man, but just always would fail utterly and need his older bro to like bail him out. Well, at the same time, too, I mean, this is more of a coming of age story <laughs> involving Kaneda and Tetsuo. Oh yeah, I mean, the stakes are higher as opposed to a movie like. The Goonies, where it is kid-centric, but you never get the sense that the kids are in any real danger. No. And in Akira, when Tetsuo gets his powers and gets more and more of a god complex, it starts killing his friends, where Kaneda realizes, like, oh, crap, I have to do something. Because mm-hmm. And they have some good emotional moments where those kids realize, oh, my God, he just killed our friend. Like, he blew him up. Like, yeah. That was great moments. Like, I love the first, I guess you could call it the first kill or whatever for Tetsuo when he goes into the hall and, like, the scientists, like, surround him. They just literally splatters them. Like, just great visual imagery, great detail to the blood and everything. It blew my mind. 
but it shows like how brutal of a person he is. Well, yeah, Tetsuo gaining his superpowers is oh. is almost like this slow descent into madness for yeah, him. Totally, totally. I mean, these are things, these are issues that he's had that have been building for a long time, and now he finally has the means to do something about him, to resolve his anger and to resolve his feelings that he's had. Well, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, I go back to it, but it's like the younger brother finally bulking up and beating the crap out of the older brother. Exactly. Like, you're not going to step on me no more, man. So I feel that's, I felt that a lot throughout, especially when they're fighting at the end. Kind of, he's like, what, are you going to shoot lasers at me? Well, he yeah. He's like toying with him and you could see how Kanada was so overmatched. Well, it's clear that they, they've they been best friends since childhood. Mm-hmm. And now Kaneda has to become a man and kill his best friend because he's out of control. Well, that's interesting because you know that they're homies since when they're kids, but just the way they were treating each other and like how much of a dick Kaneda was to Tetsuo, I kind of felt like he deserved it. And you, it didn't really hit to me until after, like, you know, Tetsuo basically explodes and becomes the ball of mass. Mm-hmm. And then you see their history together, like when they were growing up and he was helping him out and he got beat up too. And you're like, oh, this is a great moment. It's like I wish they would have had more of those humanizing moments prior to Tetsuo becoming, you know, crazy and, like, getting the superpower because I just I couldn't. I couldn't care for either of them. Through, well, the, <laughs> I'm like, just die, just both die. The raisin kids have more personality yeah. than than Kaneda or Tetsuo. Absolutely, you can humanize and like understand their um, reasons for what they're doing. And I said the colonel. I I really like understood what the colonel was doing, and I totally got it. I I didn't agree with his like choices he made, all of them, but. Totally made sense. He was like fighting the corporate, and it's like his mind is military all the way. It's the only safe haven. Well, again, this is going back to theory that there are no good people in this movie because we're still not clear on what the colonel's agenda is. Yeah. Because bottom line, he's still a representative of the military. Mm -hmm. And is his agenda, you know, utilizing the kids' superpowers as a weapon? Yeah, they weren't so clear-cut, I would say, mm-hmm. with his agenda. And that was a little sad, because I really wish they would have fleshed it out a little bit more. Well, and he's clearly looking for an opportunity to further his agenda, because when totally. he's about to be relieved of duty, he turns it around and institutes a coup against the yeah. senior council. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, the senior council is just full of bureaucrats and, and you know, corporate guys. They don't so of care. Course, so of course the colonel can't get anything done nope. to help to help him or the kids out. So I don't I don't exactly consider him, you know, the savior of the film. No, not at all. Because he doesn't care about the kids. He cares about his career and his agenda. No, but they definitely I think the writing was they portrayed him so well where it wasn't the stereotypical bad guy. It's like you could understand and almost rationalize everything that he was doing. You know, kind of like not to compare, but like Infinity Wars, you know, why Thanos is doing what he's doing. It's like you kind of almost agree with him in a sense throughout the film, fleshing out a good character. Well, and I love too when a movie can overlay all of these different threads into mm-hmm. one story. Yeah, because we have the military, and then there's the the corporate government uh, stranglehold and corruption poverty class warfare mm-hmm. there there's the civilian population who's almost they start like a death cult yeah. around Akira yeah 
Like, like they, they like they, they do you think they him. even know what they're worshiping though? No, and oh, and I think that's why the film did a great job building up the mystique of Akira. Like you don't know what he is or if what it is if he's alive or not until the very reveal at the end. I don't think they actually know that Akira was the cause of that explosion 30 years ago. No. Because that explosion <laughs> from what I gather kickstarted World War 3. As everybody was starting to drop nuclear bombs because nobody knew what happened. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're worshiping death, but again, this is nothing new. I mean, there's cults all the time. Yes. It's sprout up, like, and their end game is you know, suicide. <laughs> but I mean, death is something that we as a society fear, but we ultimately embrace. I mean, yeah. just look at all the, the zombie shows that are on television, <laughs> all the vampire films and how we embrace werewolf mythology. A death in death and horror is something that's not new to society. No, it goes hand in hand, generally speaking. But it's ultimately blind worship, though. Yeah, they don't know what this is. They I don't know agree. what Akira is, and they don't know the path that they're going to go down. Was like release Akira, <laughs> give up to us. Oh, that's funny. I well, do you have any blind worship in your life? Or no, you're a pretty straightforward type of guy. I'm I'm more of a you know seek your own answers seek type of own. individual. Yeah. I mean, I I don't condemn religion. I mean, by no means. If if that's what does it for you, then mm-hmm. you know God bless us all. <laughs> but I I I do encourage people to seek their own answers. If yeah. religion isn't the thing that does it for you, I mean, there's yeah. there's philosophy. There's you know other types of meditation techniques. There's, there and yeah. there's doing things that make you happy. There's being outdoors. There's exercising. Absolutely, reading and writing. I mean, it's bottom line. People should seek their own answers. Absolutely, I cannot. We cannot direct <laughs> you to any sort of profound life <laughs> truth. It's up to you to find that. Whatever it is, pray to whoever you want, even if it's Joe Pesci. Pray to Joe, baby. The Church of Pesci. The Church of Pesci. <laughs> that's my guy just just to t- <laughs> just be showing good fellas all day long <laughs> all day just all of it raging bull good casino. fellas casino that's all we need you know he's gonna be in the new movie the irishman although if i were gonna pick a church around a scorsese actor it would be de niro de niro yeah you think so with this the church of de niro the church of de niro you'd just be like method acting the whole time and like squinting and like and? just nodding You'd just be nodding the I, whole time. I, I don't see the issue with this. <laughs> Is that what you want to do? <laughs> I do like uh, maybe the Church of Al Pacino. Oh. Yeah, the whole time, man. Welcome to worship. <laughs> oh. Welcome. Hoo-ah. That'd be amazing. Oh, God, I love that man. <laughs> he needs to do more. So so what else? Oh, well, in Ocula, I mean... You mentioned this off air. There are a ton of allegories oh, for yeah. the the events leading up to this film that inspired uh, Otomo to mm-hmm. write the manga and direct the film. Oh yeah, nuclear warfare for sure. It's like a big criticism or like a look at humanity and how we would handle that power and technology. Because uh, it's I, I like the ironic how it's set in Tokyo, especially like with Hiroshima and everything. You know, I think it's. It's beautiful. It was a good. It's a good reason for well, them to write. Hiroshima it. was able to rebuild their city mm-hmm. after the atomic bomb dropped, and it's really become this this center of peace. Mm-hmm. 
and they want to encourage world peace free from nuclear weapons. And it's a very admirable mission that the city has undertaken Heck yeah. in the wake of World War Two. Mm hmm. But like you were saying, humanity has never been able to responsibly wield the mantle never. of scientific discovery. No. And it's absolutely. We see it with the military general having his own um his own plans we didn't it's never really clear cut what the terrorists want to do with Acura or the kids when they release the raisin children I mean you just never know you know it's all like chaos even with the biker gangs so I think it's it's a really good uh, critique of culture well and it's also interesting too to watch the merger of technology and biology yeah like the most prominent being when Tetsuo has officially lost control Mm -hmm. at the end of the film and is just absorbing it doesn't regardless of what it is he's just absorbing matter into this blob yeah he loses uh, he's he's off the pills it's done mm -hmm. and then he just goes and kills uh kaori or whatever kaori kaori dang it and uh yeah it's well, just well that scene especially is very haunting yeah oh yeah cuz i personally think that kaori is symbolic of tetsuo's humanity yeah. And as he's gained more and more abilities and has become more confident in his powers, he's lost that connection to Kaneda and his friends. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, when he becomes this blob and he's accidentally taking Kaori in, mm -hmm. he's asking Kaneda to save her, but he can't do anything. No. He's like, I can feel her. She's in pain. You need to help her. And then poof. she pops like a balloon and it is just, one of the most gruesome so... deaths in the film. It's brutal. And man. you just feel so bad for her because like it, she's just this little puppy in the film. It's not her fault. No, it's 100 percent not, not her, her fault. fault. That's why she's my red shirt. I yes. just feel so bad. For yeah, her. we agree on red shirts this week, although I could have picked the two dogs that were killed in the beginning of the I film. Know, I know. I saw those two and I'm like, God, another freaking movie. And those those Animated. dogs, I mean, and it's rare that we see like the dogs get shot like that. Yeah. Oh, it's usually off screen or there's a quick cut, but we never see the dog get shot and then fall in the hood of a car and bleed all over the place. <laughs> I'm telling you, this film is brutal. <laughs> well, um, and but... also too, one of the main themes in the film is definitely this loss of innocence. Oh yeah, well... and we briefly mentioned that, and I think when you do a film that's kid centered, and especially when a few of the kids die. You have to, the, that is the theme of the film, is loss of innocence. And they do. And they do. That's the total arc of these characters. They just, they grow so much, though. Mm -hmm. You see them change immediately from the beginning to the end. Well, Tetsuo, he's the big change, I would yeah, say. He, he is the big change, and his coming of age, loss of innocence, is mm -hmm. him transitioning to that higher plane of existence, that extra dimension. Mm -hmm. That is his arc. And Kaneda is, is realizing that those those other kids sacrificed themselves to save our world, mm -hmm. and now I have to do better than as a leader. Yeah, I have to do better so I can lead this new world. Mm -hmm. He was just so slow with this. Yeah, he, he was slow on the uptake there, the chasing tail the entire time until finally, oh yeah. Although it's unfortunate because those the the kids with the ESP yeah. abilities, they are, they're not the cause, but every, all the corruption and military oversight is because of the kids yeah. and their abilities. It's not their fault. No, 
It's our fault. It's our fault. It's our fault for keeping them and trying to harness their gifts for selfish abilities. Yeah. But it's when they band together and sacrifice themselves, they mm-hmm. get rid of the corruption. The military's gone. So they get rid of the male-dominated society, mm-hmm. and guess what? Kay shows up, and the future is female. All right, let's let's relax. <laughs> I wouldn't say, I mean, if that's what you go, Mr. Star Wars. I mean, that's what I thought. It's just, you know, <laughs> Kay shows up, and the kids mention you know, that Kay has the ability, and she's slowly gaining her power. So, future is female. So, and everybody has the power, apparently. Matriarchy! Who would have thought that's the truth to winning society, a matriarch? No, I I mean, I just felt she was a very level-headed person, so it just makes so much sense that she would be the the one, you know, that that would harness her powers before Kanada, because Kanada was just, you know, like we've said, he's uh, behind. Yeah, slow on the uptake there, Slow on the uptake. So it it only makes sense that she would be the one. Well, I want to ask you this. Uh-huh. How would you act if you gained abilities like Tetsuo? <laughs> Probably selfishly. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever could benefit I could see me that. the best. <laughs> Get all the money in the world. And then uh, delete my powers and change my identity. And <laughs> I'm just rich. I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Like Kanada? Or like a Tetsuo? Because what was his powers? He could fly and then he could just eviscerate people into little... Like well, explosions. I'm going to assume he had just psionic powers. Psionic powers? Yeah, I don't know. Like Jean Grey in X-Men. Okay. I can't really think of how I would use my powers. I mean, me personally, I could do without the awful hallucinations. <laughs> like your guts spewing yeah, out? Yeah, feeling like I, you know, my intestines are falling out of my chest cavity. I mean, are we counting? Like, is that is that all taking part? Like his adventure, Tetsuo, is that like that's gonna what I'm gonna have to go through? Yes, because if that's the case, then just put a gun to my head, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna go through it, or just give me the pills and I'll just be like a le- no. Nah, well, <sighs> well, let's just assume for argument's sake that it's going to end the way it ended in the film. Oh, okay. Well, then there's no choice. I'll well, probably do the same thing. Well, Tetsuo could have stopped at any moment too, because. You know, when he lifts the Olympic Stadium out and sees the remnants of Akira, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty clear warning of what's going to happen to him if he continues down this path. Yeah, and he still goes for it. It's like, what? although, what's his plan with those? Is he going to eat those, drink those? <laughs> I don't know. He, regardless, it's still gross. It sounded like he wanted to kill him or something because he wanted to be the strongest. But then when he realized Akira was already dead, it's like Tetsuo's going for his "I'm the captain now" moment. No, 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 no! Just like eat his like remnants. Organ of monster. <laughs> right. I'm the best now. God. Psychic organs. <laughs> Gross. Uh, you know, Chris, because we're adults, we probably wouldn't eat the organs. We we, we would be <laughs> no, better than Tetsuo. First. That's right. That's absolutely <laughs> right. Medium rare, medium, whatever the flavor, baby. <laughs> well, did you have anything by way of a lens flare, Sean? Uh, for lens flare, not really. I think outside of like just the kids being like so deplorable. That just like annoyed me as a viewer watching it. It's like I get it, Canada. You're <laughs> mad. Can we at least progress as a person? I love the like I loved the violence in it. I thought it was great. So that mm-hmm. wasn't a big standout to me. It's like, oh yeah. how about you? I as funny as the scene was, 
I would have to pick the truant officer going down the lane and just slapping each of the kids open <laughs> open palm. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty obvious that they do not care about going to school. Right. They and don't. they're only in front of these administrators because they got caught. Mm-hmm. And we don't see another shot of them going back to school or even thinking about going back to school. No. That was just there to show them that they do not care. Well, again, Kanada isn't meant to be a hero. Yeah. I mean, he is a, he, he's an anti-hero. He I is. mean, and this is the day and age in Hollywood and films in general where the anti-hero was replacing the strong, silent type of films. Ooh. Like in the 80s? Yeah. Okay. I mean, and, and, and this is going back. I mean, I think Han Solo, mm-hmm. the character, really started all of that with his anti-hero yeah. Just going in. And then, I mean, going further down the Harrison Ford rabbit hole, I mean, you get Indiana Jones and Rick Deckard from Blade Runner. And Kanida from Akira is a prime example of an anti-hero. Yeah. Because he doesn't, I mean, he's the leader of a street gang. So already <laughs> then he's morally reprehensible. Right. I mean, but we do see that in the end he is a loyal friend and he's trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's almost like because he has no other options left that he's yeah that, right that exactly. he has he now has to do this he's literally in a corner it's like all right do this or die so that's fair so with all that in mind Sean let's yeah. discuss the legacy of Akira okay so the film currently holds an eighty eight percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes yeah and and it took a while for it to come over to America and I, I don't think America was quite ready for. This type of film. This type of film, let alone how bleak the future depiction was, but I think just not the style of animation. No, they weren't. And if you read the YouTube comments, people say, this is stuff from my nightmares, man. <laughs> so I get it. Well, this kicked off a a ton of different uh, shows and movies that were drawn in this style. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dragon Ball Z was about to make its way to our shores and- Pokemon, Pokemon, Eon Flux, Dragon which Ball. was like yeah. a, uh, like an American MTV animated show at the time. Those would come out shortly afterwards and introduce American audiences to the style, but not exactly in its pure form. Mm-hmm. I mean, there would be other series also like Ghost in the Shell, mm-hmm. Cowboy Bebop, Gundam, and uh, Pokemon that you mentioned. Yeah, just one of the the biggest anime franchises of ever. All time. Yeah. They literally made a movie about it. And even that style has influenced American series like The Boondocks, Samurai Jack, Mm -hmm. The Powerpuff Girls. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the influence of Akira cannot be overstated. (laughs) That's why it's rated as the top five best films, animated films of all time. Well, yeah, this is consistently ranked as one of the best animated and best science fiction films of all time. Yeah. It is. It's credited with kickstarting the cyberpunk genre mm-hmm. and is the prime example for the Japanese subgenre within cyberpunk. And its main influence goes beyond the animated films and into mainstream Hollywood films. I mean, like um, The Matrix, The Dark Knight, Looper, Kill Bill, Midnight Special, Inception. They all drew influence from this film. Mm-hmm. And that's so cool. <laughs> When right? an animated film from Japan is this cultural watershed that just influences so many things beyond its intended reach. Mm-hmm. He crushed it. Well, I actually <laughs> I, I found a great anything. article from the Washington Post by uh, Hao Chu. Okay. Uh, it's outlining some of the influences that Akira has had. 
throughout the years. Okay. Uh, the creators of Stranger Things, the Duffer Brothers, have noted that Akira influenced a lot of aspects on their show. Interesting. Uh, specifically, the character of Eleven, her powers and the government oversight, and then some of the design of the creatures, I think particularly in season three, when getting into body horror. Like, okay. You don't watch Stranger Things, although you really should. I don't. I don't. Because you're a jerk. <laughs> I watched the first season. I was just bored. Whatever. Well, sorry, man. Well, Kanye West even paid homage to Akira <laughs> with, uh, in his music video for Stronger. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to watch it again. Uh, Kanye's bike appears in the film Ready what? Player One from oh, last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also influenced video games like uh, Batman Arkham Asylum, Cyberpunk 2077, and Deus Ex Mankind Divided. Dude, see? This is it. It's so, like I said, it's so cool that you can trace all of these things back to one film. It's nuts. Even Lupe Fiasco's Tetsuo and Youth. It's literally based off of the kid's name, Tetsuo. Yeah. Oh, my God. This blows my mind. I'm going to listen to that album now. <laughs> You're probably going to go watch the music video for Stronger now, too. <laughs> Absolutely. That's just so crazy. That's that's when you know, like like we've said, when I mean, the film can influence so many if things. If we weren't set in our current podcast format, we could easily devote an entire podcast researching and discussing the far-reaching impact of Akira. <laughs> Maybe once we get a Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> then we can do extra stuff. Stuff. Well, and it didn't stop with the animated film. There's Warner Brothers acquired the rights to do a live-action adaptation back mm -hmm. in 2002, and there has been there have been plans to adapt the film going as far back as then. The most recent news being in 2017, the director of Thor Ragnarok, Taika Waititi, was tasked with directing a live action adaptation, and I said he would he would have an all Asian cast in the film. But with him being announced as the director of Thor: mm -hmm. Love and Thunder, these plans seem to be on hold for the time being. Okay, I mean, would you even want to see a live action adaptation? No. No, <laughs> no. That's. I feel like there's so many elements in this film that it's just so embedded in the time and the culture of Japanese culture that it just wouldn't translate over to American audiences. And like with our modern 2019 perception, it just wouldn't work. We wouldn't. People wouldn't be able to deal with. I think what was going on with the male-dominated cast and the way kids and the brutality of it. Um. And if they do change it, it's probably going to be Americanized. And if it's Americanized, it's going to suck. Yeah. I have a crappy storyline and we're going to dice it up. So I'm good. I think white, <laughs> I think whitewashing a live action no. version of Akira would be a massive mistake. Totally. Because it's the same thing happened face. with the Ghost in the Shell adaptation a couple of years ago with Scarlett Johansson. Mm -hmm. And there was a ton of backlash against that film and it really hurt it in the Asian markets. Yeah. I mean, granted, that's not the only reason that studios shouldn't whitewash. But it is a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, and I think Warner Brothers is waiting to see how other Asian-casted films are going to do at the box office before fully committing to yeah. that. I think they want to wait and see how Marvel's Shang-Chi mm -hmm. is going to do at the box office before they go yeah. in for the win on Akita. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to do a live-action adaptation, you have to do it right. You have to do it with an all-Asian cast. You have to set it in Japan, in mm -hmm. Tokyo, and you have to have somebody who's on board with that vision. Mm -hmm. And Taika Waititi is the person to do it, but it ha the project has to be in the right studio hands for that to happen. Yeah. I don't know. I just, 
I, I don't want to see it. <laughs> CGI, it just... There's some things that are meant to, that look good on animation well, I and a... that would look horrible in real life. Like mm-hmm. Tetsuo becoming a blob, that would just look horrible. Like in real life, you'd be like, what? what is this? It's it's just, to me, it would be incomprehensible where it wouldn't translate. I wouldn't mind a long-form animated adaptation like Ooh. on Netflix or FX. or Fleshing it out. Yeah, more. flesh yeah. it out. You give the manga more of a chance to breathe and develop. That'd be dope. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be down for that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. So, Sean. Yeah. If you had to rate Akira on our scale of would it watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party, what do you give to 1988's Akira? Oh, I'd give a host viewing party all the way. Okay. This is so culturally significant. And, like, it's influenced so much. I'm only just surprised that it's not in the, you know, United States. They haven't certified it or put it in, like, what are they, what's that the called? The Library of Congress. Yeah. The National like, Film Registry. Well, you know, it's from Japan. That's why. Still. <laughs> Come on. Or at least they haven't done it. Um, I think it's just so important to people that like anime and um it's a big change of pace being r-rated and being so brutal but having a good message so absolutely it's it's something for the books man you gotta gotta don that cyberpunk (laughs) boots and bike i want to get kanada's jacket (laughs) kanada's jacket yeah Yeah, that was a cool jacket that is a dope jacket for me i would call this a wood own yeah but i this is one of the best animated films that i've ever seen bar none Oh yeah, and it's so unlike any other film that came out at the time, with the incredible attention to detail, and a story that feels unique despite borrowing several elements from that which influenced it. It is awesome. I enjoy the struggle all the characters have to face, and I love if a film is able to weave together numerous different threads into a cohesive story. I I thoroughly enjoy that. However, I feel like a lot of people simply wouldn't get this. Yeah. And admittedly, like I said at the top of the show, I was hesitant to watch this film for a long time because I wasn't a huge fan of anime. But I strongly encourage people to give this film a chance to change their minds. Yeah. So now if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go on Amazon for a minute and find a collector's (laughs) edition to buy and display it on my shelf. (laughs) Totally. I mean, look at the cover artwork of this, him walking to the bike. I mean, it's it's iconic. It's sexy. It's amazing, dude. I love this. Yeah. So normally we would spend this portion of the show enlisting our friendly random number generator AI, Major Samantha, to pick our next film. For our film next week, we wanted to do something tad different. Yeah. We selected a Netflix film for next mm-hmm. week. It is a release from this year, 2019, starring Hilary Swank and the voice of Rose Byrne. It is I Am Mother. Yeah. I saw that was pretty heavily over the summer about that, right? Yeah. We saw a trailer and we're like, we got to do this. So we finally found some time. Drop it in. Yeah. So that'll be our film for next time. Mm-hmm. Please watch and enjoy with us. And if you enjoyed today's show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. 
So for all of us at the Force-Fed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. Force-Fed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.